0: LessDoing.com I think that it's time for your inner entrepreneur to come out and shine Working with no limits You know you're unstoppable Flexibility and freedom Showing you that anything's possible Plan, execute, and get it done No stress, we have overwhelmology 101 LessDoing.com My go-getters, make some noise It's time to optimize, automate, and outsource Woo!
1: Welcome back to a very special episode of the Less Doing Podcast, episode 419. I'm your host, Ari Meisel. Several episodes ago, I think maybe 30 or 40 episodes ago, I stopped doing interviews. I had done over 350 interviews and just decided that I wanted to just talk about the things that I want to talk about. However, every now and then there is somebody really exceptional that I really want to have a conversation with. And what I do is I bring them on live with the members of my Less Doing Leaders coaching program. And I allow them to ask questions as well and it makes for a really interesting conversation. And the leaders get a sneak peek of the episode far in advance. So that's what we have today. This was recorded on Zoom with a group of people asking some questions to a very interesting person. Enjoy Okay,
2: so welcome back. Today we're talking with Patrick McGuinness, who is the author of a new book which is called Fear of Missing Out. And if you've heard that term before, or you think you've heard that term before, you're right. FOMO is something that I think has been thrown around a lot, and Patrick is the guy who coined it. So, uh, Patrick, thank you for taking the time to talk to me tonight. It's great to be here. Um, And I will point out that uh, I've moved around our schedule quite a bit, and Patrick's very, very accommodating, and we're doing this at 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, As I said in a bunch of my Facebook Lives and a couple podcasts now that the uh, the daytime is no longer ours in many ways, uh, so we're getting a lot more done at night. So I really appreciate you taking the time to be here. So, when did you come up with the term FOMO?
0: So it was two thousand and three. I basically I was I was living in New York City, working as a venture capitalist, and I was living in New York during nine eleven. So I witnessed nine one one. All the things around that, and it was so shocking. I mean, if, if anybody who was in New York at that time, and of course, we all remember it, but if you lived in New York, especially lower Manhattan, it really made an impression on me. And shortly thereafter, I was accepted to Harvard Business School and enrolled in HBS in the fall of 2002. And when I got there, having been through the combination of 9-11 and also the implosion of the tech bubble, which really affected my career, I just wanted to escape from everything, and I wanted to have the best time ever. And so I decided to basically make business school like this massive, fun experience. And I tried to do everything all the time, all the classes, all the trips, all the parties, you name it. I was everywhere, and uh, to the point where basically I realized that I was totally overcommitted. I was always sick. I was always tired. I was always at some event. And I realized it was unusual and this behavior was not normal. And so I started to make fun of myself and others by saying that we all had a fear of missing out. I shortened it to FOMO and then wrote an article in the school newspaper in 2004 all about FOMO at Harvard Business School. I called it, um, Social Theory at, at, at HBS, McGinnis' Two Foes, about FOMO and another term called FOBO. And that was it. Uh, that was the, that was the, the origin story of FOMO.
2: It's, it's, I mean, it's really interesting. And I I think that a lot of people, and, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that a lot of people throw it around sort of very casually. And a lot of times people are sort of referring to it as, you know, watching Instagram friends at Coachella when they're not there. But it has much deeper implications in terms of how you make decisions and the, I mean, big decisions in your business, all sorts of things, right?
0: It does. And that's the thing that's, that is, that is interesting about it is it's become a meme, you know, it's this kind of jokey thing. There's actually like a dog bone now called FOMO Bones that have CBD in them that you can give your dog so it doesn't stress out when you leave. Which is, which is awesome, like, love you guys. But what people don't realize is major mental health implications. So actually clinical psychologists have written dozens of papers and journals about FOMO and how it causes us stress and problems with sort of how we view ourselves and how we compare ourselves to others. It actually has been attributed to overspending. There was a study by Charles Schwab that showed that people who um, actually like 30% of Americans spend money that they shouldn't because of FOMO. And then um, there's also this phenomenon where – um, it actually also really hits our productivity because when we have FOMO, we're constantly on the news, checking, you know, things, checking our email, and it takes time away from the things we should be doing.
2: So you mentioned FOMO a couple times there. So how do you, what's the difference between FOMO and FOvo?
0: Yeah, so FOMO, fear of missing out, is this idea that we believe there's something better out there for us and we want to take advantage of it. And so we have this anxiety that we, you know, that we don't want to be left behind what the crowd is doing. FOBO, fear of a better option, is the idea that, that we are waiting for something better and we will not choose anything until it gets to us. So it's basically like I want to keep my options open because there's got to be something better out there for me. So in the end, if you think about the comparison, it's like FOMO is I'm trying to do everything because I want to keep up, whereas Fobo is like I'm not going to do anything until I know I have made the perfect decision and I have the absolute best thing I can have.
2: (laughs) By the way, there's some weird noise in the background. Of course. And – Sorry. Um, I don't know what it is. Um, so have you heard of the term acrasia? Yeah, nireyal. Oh, yeah, right. So, uh, and for those who aren't familiar, I mean, I've talked about it a couple times, I think, before, but akrasia is basically when you're sort of acting against your own good judgment, basically, and where you – you you know you should do something, but you're not doing it. Whereas procrastination is when you have made a decision to do something and now you're actively putting obstacles in your way. So I kind of see that comparison a little bit between FOBO and FOMO. Totally. Yeah, that's a really good way of putting it. So then uh, a big issue here, obviously, like a core issue is decision-making. And one of the ways that I talk about decision-making with our people is that it's one of those things where, I think that a lot of people just assume that they're good at it, right, because they make decisions all the time. It's just like an innate ability, and they never think that there might be a way of having a structure or a methodology around it. So how do you advise people in terms of decision overload or paralysis analysis and all those fun terms?
0: Yeah, it's a good point, the point you make, which is I I did this TED Talk about FOBO, and what was so crazy is the amount of – some of the comments were saying things like, well, you know, this is how my wife makes decisions, how I make I make decisions. We all make decisions all the time, so therefore we would just assume we're all experts in that. But the reality is that, like anything else, even if you do something all the time, doesn't mean that you're doing it correctly. And so I've spent a lot of time thinking about this, researching it. I read all of the, the sort of clinical psychology, but I also talked to tons of decision makers out there who are successful at doing that. And what I found is a couple of things. The first thing is that uh, we make decisions successfully all the time. It's not that you are struggling to make every decision, because if you were struggling, you'd never get out of bed in the morning. But we do struggle, um, and when we do uh, get to points where we're, where we're having trouble – One thing that happens is we treat small decisions like we treat the big decisions. So, like, you may spend 10 minutes trying to decide whether or not go for a run or not today, when you could also spend 10 minutes trying to decide something much more important. And, in fact, when you spend a lot of time on things that aren't very important, you are just procrastinating from dealing with the big things in your life. So the first thing that I I tell people to focus on is, you know, really don't sweat sweat the small stuff. When it comes to small decisions, to be honest with you, I outsource them all. So I literally flip a coin. It's like, should I have the chicken and the fish, heads or tails? I do that three times a day, and I've been doing that for 20 years since college. And it really works for me. So that's number one. Number two is really important to think about the fact that both FOMO and Fobo are based on this perception that there's something better out there for you than what you're doing right now. And with FOMO, it's like, I want to go do that thing. And with Fobo, it's like, I want to wait for that thing so I can have it. And they're both based on information asymmetry. If you had perfect information, you wouldn't have any of those things because you'd know. And so when you're dealing with the information asymmetry as a decision maker, the thing you have to do is attack that information asymmetry as much as possible. Really try to figure out, is this for real? Can I even do it? You know, is this as rosy as it looks on the the surface? And the reality is that perception is oftentimes deception. And so if you spend some time thinking through, is this even what I – it's cracked up to me? Uh, Is it even available to me? That helps you a lot of times to break through the barriers. And then, of course, there's the deeper motivations that you want to think about. With FOMO, there's a whole thing about being part of the crowd. So you have to think about, what is the real reason I want to do this? Am I doing it because I want to do it or because somehow I'm trying to please somebody or – spend time with somebody or because I don't want to be left out. And so that's also a really, really critical part of
2: decision-making. So with the current state of the world and what's happening with coronavirus and all these people working from home now, well, on the one hand, I guess there's maybe less of a FOMO issue because everybody's sort of in the same boat. But for those who are new to remote working or they're remote working now and they have the kids at home and you know, all these different things are happening – I guess it could swing either way. Do you see it like as a much stronger issue right now, or less with the workforce?
0: Yeah, so it's interesting. I think. Listen, first of all, I've heard some. I read somebody on Twitter said, it's, it's, "I guess FOMO is not a thing anymore." And I'm like, "Well, have you tried to buy toilet paper recently?" Because, because I went to my grocery store and I couldn't get anything. And so there is clearly FOMO when it has to do with panic buying. We're seeing FOMO in the unwillingness to socially distance. People who are just like still going out. Um, you also see FOMO in our inability to extract ourselves from checking the news all the time, which, I mean, I got to tell you, I mean, that is – it's not doing me any good to check the news, and so it's something I'm trying to stay away from, but you just kind of feel compulsive to check it, yeah? At the same time, we are in this – kind of all on this boat together, and therefore you are seeing people, because they can't do anything, maybe – going and reading that stack of books that they always wanted to read instead of worrying about where they should be right now. And so I think you are seeing an interesting period of time where people are forced to withdraw and they can't – I mean, you you may feel the FOMO, and in fact, I think a lot of that is kind of we're mourning the fact that our lives are not what they used to be two weeks ago. So there's a period of – a lot of FOMO is also just having to accept the fact you can't have certain things, and so we're going through that. But what I expect is when things get back to normal, which, you know – we hope it's very soon, that we're going to see a wave of people trying to do it and be everything again just after 9-11 because we're just going to be so damn happy to be back to where we were. And in that case, I think a little phone was a good thing because, frankly, it means that you
2: do have things to miss out on and so you want to partake in them. That's, that's a, I think that's a very nice outlook on it. How do uh, you see companies sort of making this something that's pervasive, not uh, pervasive necessarily, but, like, the way of dealing with something pervasive in their culture, where uh, as a leader, for example, you know, you don't necessarily – like, there, you want there to be healthy competition amongst your workers, right? Um, so I feel like Homo could be something that, uh, as a leader, you could use very manipulatively and effectively, if you wanted to, uh, to motivate people. Um, So, I mean, clearly the way you're describing it, it's something that could be used as a very powerful motivator.
0: Yeah, and in fact, there's actually an interesting piece of research out there by Deloitte, exactly on this point: is how can we use FOMO to get people to do things we want them to do? And in fact, this is uh, this is this is something that advertisers do to us all the time. You live in New York City, you know the Dominic Ansel Bakery with the cronut and people waiting in line, 300 yeah. people for. Uh, I mean, it's I'm sure it's delicious. I got I bought the the Dunkin' Donuts version, which you can just get when you walk in. Um, very tasty, but. the story is so crazy about that people were waiting in line people were so focused on the cronut and the instagramming that there was one day where there was a a, a dead person on a bench and nobody even noticed they were so busy dying for a cronut they didn't notice somebody else sort of died near them and so there's all these fomo at the end of the day is a marketing technique and it can be used to get people to do certain things that you want and i think that it's something that is, can be benevolent, right? But it's important for all of us to realize when we're on the other side of that, what is happening. You know, when you get that email that says, you know, one day left, don't miss out. And it, as long as you realize that you're being um, somebody's trying to manipulate you, I think that, that, that then you can make a better decision. Or, because at the end of the day, the problem with FOMO in any scenario is that you want to make sure when you make decisions, you're making them because you have agency and you are deciding what you really want, not that you're being – Manipulated by somebody else to do what you want them. They want
2: you to do. You now, how much of that is just being able to accept that there are probably better options, and there are things that you're missing out on, and that's just the way it is. Like it's almost like an 80/20 rule in some cases, right? So, like, yeah.
0: Most definitely. And the thing that kind of interesting about this is, it's not that people have never had these feelings, right? I mean, that you go back to early humans, our ancestors. They had FOMO because if they didn't stay with the crowd, if they didn't know where the better source of food was or the water or shelter, they were imperiled. And so there's a Darwinistic quality that if you have FOMO, you're more likely to survive. And, in fact, if you think about the expression keeping up with the Joneses, which came out of a comic strip that was published 100 years ago, where it was about a family that lived next to this family of the Joneses, and they're always trying to keep up. Ironically, the name of that family is the McGinnis family, which is kind of insane, um, so they're I guess my relatives. But these are things we've always had in our in our in our culture, in our society. The changes, what has made us different now and what I think necessitated the word FOMO is technology. We are so connected. We can compare ourselves so often. And so not only do you have to accept that there are things out there that you just can't have, but worse than that, so many of the things that you're presented are totally sort of they're not real right it's like it's it's all of the filters that are applied to the instagrams and all of the things that look better than they really are and we didn't have to deal with that you know 20 years ago but now because of social media fomo has gone from being a very much like a one percent kind of thing for for people pervasively to being something that is 56 percent of people say they experience fomo when they're away from social networks
2: yeah spread uh, has a question to uh to add in here Why don't you go ahead
0: and ask, Fred? Sorry, I was mute. (laughs) The the question I had was, um, what happens when you miss out on something and you have FOMO and then all of a sudden it's too late and then you have regret and then you beat yourself up for it and then you second guess yourself? I mean, that that does happen and, and, and... how do you deal with that, and how do you know when? How do you, you know, how do you deal with that in general? Yeah, I think you know that that's a great question, and so much of FOMO is the fear of ending up in the spot you just described, right? And so, as a result, we spend a lot of time avoiding that pain. But the reality is that life life forces us to deal with it all the time. And I think, in my own experience, and and listen, this happens to us all the time. I think a big part of that, there's two things that, that, are, that are critical. The first is to accept that you can only control certain things and you need to focus on what you can control. And the fact that something has passed you by and is now not available to you, fixating on that is really not productive because there's nothing you can really do except that prepare yourself to take advantage of that opportunity in the future and learn as much as you can. The second thing that I always tell people, it's really important. So if you think about it, overcoming FOMO is about, choosing what you actually want, and then being comfortable missing out on the rest. So the missing out part is the part you want to focus on there. And there are a bunch of techniques you can use, but the one that, listen, I've interviewed everybody from a neurobiologist to a Buddhist monk to a, um, a priest, all these, uh, these kind of like spiritual type people, and also clinical psychologists and stuff. And the answer that people tell me is mindfulness, meditation, is a really great way to to deal with these issues because when we are focused on regret and we're focused on things like FOMO, we're spending all our time in our head and we're not connected at all to reality. And the whole point of mindfulness and meditation is to ground yourself in the present. And so therefore if you can get away from that, the the swirling thoughts in your head and focus more on the here and now, you are much better prepared
2: to deal with those problems. So uh, the, I want to sort of back up for a minute. The, you mentioned about flipping a coin for small decisions i really love that and i don't know if you you probably know this but siri and alexa will flip coins for you um no so way. they can do that so you can do it by voice yeah um it, i do that with my kids a lot she'll also roll dice <laughs> so if you have more than one choice but what are some other sort of tactics like that that you utilize that's because that's a that's a really good one honestly it's simple but it's perfect because there's so many of those little decisions that people agonize over,
0: honestly. Yeah. Let me give you two more that I use all the time. And believe me, I've actually been using these now that I'm homebound and we're all in quarantine. I've been using this as an opportunity to test all my stuff. So because I've had massive phomophobia just about, you know, the little it's like. You think about it, like, you, you you were telling me you live in Brooklyn, you're upstate now. I was like, should I stay in New York City, should I go somewhere else? I struggled with that, and I actually used the stuff in my book to deal with these sort of um, cognitive challenges. So let me give you two. The second one is, you know, I talked about no-stakes decisions. It's like stuff that really doesn't matter, you won't remember in a day. The next category up is what I call um, low-stakes decisions. That's things that you won't, you know, remember in a month, and it's, one of the, the deliberations I like to think about is, like, buying a printer because there's um, you go to the store to buy a printer. I mean, they are there's a million of them. They're kind of all the same at this point. And so, again, when you're making it, it's not that you don't have options. It's that you have too many options, and frankly, like, geez, you know, they're all kind of the same. And so what I do in situations like that is I don't have to my watch because, you know, that requires a little more thinking, but I will outsource to a person. Or there's also technology. There's actually startups now that help you to make these decisions. And so, I, again, I, I push it off. I try to get it off my plate so that I have the, the sort of the energy to deal with important things. Now, when it comes to the big decisions in life, let's take a FOBO situation where you're trying to decide something um, and you have three or four perfectly good options, and it's important, something you're going to remember in, in a year, right? So – Again, that's the maximization and wanting to keep your options open as long as possible. And it turns out, and I've done a bunch of research and reading on this, uh, that maximization often gets blamed. It's like, oh, maxi- being a maximizer is so terrible for you. Actually, it's not the maximization that you need to worry about. It's the process you go through. Because what people do when they have phobo is they refuse to discard any options and they keep going back to the same options over and over again and get caught up in a very like pernicious feedback loop. And so what you have to do is simply find ways to get rid of options. So what I tell people to do and this is what I did is I take say you have three options. You pick a front runner based on, you know, intuition like uh, like this one. And then you compare the other options one by one to that front runner. And you pick the one you like best. So you're picking the good one. You feel good. I'm getting the one, the better of the two. But then the other one must be eliminated forever. Because then it is gone and you can't return to it. And here, I like to think about the analogy is like Marie Kondo. If you, Anybody who's heard of Marie Kondo, she's the woman who does the, you know, you look at things in your home and you ask, do they spark joy? And if they don't, you get rid of them. You say, thanks for being here. I'm glad I owned you, shirt. But now you're gone. you got to do the same thing with opportunities that you're getting rid of. Appreciate it. Be thankful you had it. But then get rid of it forever. Because that's the only way you are going to free yourself from the trap from the prison of
2: indecision. That's really uh, very elegant, honestly. It's a very good solution, I have to say. Uh, and it, it's interesting. So you, you won't know this, but what our, the email overload methodology that I teach, we call it the 3 Ds. It's the three decisions. Um, so it's the only three decisions you need to deal with any email. And it's uh, delete, deal with it, or defer. Uh, but And the whole idea there is that the email inbox, I think, is one of the unique places in our lives where you're presented with the opportunity to make thousands of decisions in a given day. We really don't see that in a lot of other places. So limiting those decisions is is obviously a very good tactic.
0: I love that, that um, the way you put that, I never thought about that before. The fact email is, is, is a hell uh, for all of us. I call it's not my inbox it's my in talks cause it's so toxic. And, um, and it's something that I've had to learn to deal with. And I think, you're right. It's I like what you do, and I think that's I'm kind of of the same mindset. And you do have to make a ton of decisions. And let me tell you something. If you don't have a system, I mean, systematizing is another thing. Like having a great system to deal with things where you have to make tons of decisions so that you no longer have to deal with it, you're outsourcing is what you're doing. In this, in this case, you're outsourcing to a system.
2: Well, and what I also find so interesting about what you're saying is that, you know, I, I think that a lot of people perceive CEOs particularly as really you know, solid decision makers, like it's a big part of a CEO's role is to make the right decision, you know, even the president of the United States, you know, they're decision makers in many ways, right? And, and, and when anybody wants to, uh, you know, talk to the boss, they want to talk to the decision maker, like that's a big thing. But at the same time now, you're really saying that for most decisions, you shouldn't even be making them.
0: That is correct. You shouldn't. You should delegate, and and you don't have to delegate to a person. As I said, you can delegate to, I mean, your watch or okay. your, your cell phone, whatever. And by the way, what is so interesting as you talk about decision making and leading is people with FOMO and FOBO can't be good leaders because the, if they have FOMO, they're chasing after every you know crazy opportunity. If they have FOBO, they're not deciding anything at all. And as we see right now in this um, in the coronavirus epidemic. Leaders, leaders rise to the occasion. You think of the governor of New York, Andrew Cuomo. Like I didn't really have a strong view on him a couple weeks ago, and he's been decisive. And now everybody's like drawn to him. Whereas yeah. you look at other world leaders who aren't making decisions, or you think about Brexit and Theresa May, where they just kept postponing and delaying over and over again. Even the leaders of millions of people can get stuck in these things. So you know, it's it's incredible how how we got caught up.
2: Yeah, it, it is, and and not to sort of like hammer it too much, but it is the, uh, that marriage of being like, a good leader and being a decision maker. Um, but I, I think, at least in my case, it's not necessarily about – it's not just about making the right decision or the wrong decision. It's about choosing which decisions you're going to make at all.
0: Totally. Totally. Yeah. Because you make thousands of decisions every day, and the vast majority of them you make without thinking about it. It's just your intuition. And that's the job of the intuition. That's what we want. But when you have FOMO and FOBO, your intuition is taken prisoner. And so, God forbid, I mean, I have certain friends, people who read my book <laughs> or, or friends that know me. Right? I have, you know, my friends know that I do this stuff. They will call me up and they will say, you know, my spouse or my father or whatever has massive FOBO all the time and it drives me crazy. And so I'm like, you have not call me and I'll sort them out.
2: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, okay. This this is really wonderful. Thank you for sharing all this. When is the book coming out? Let everybody know. Yeah, so the book is coming out May fifth. You can pre order on Amazon, and um,
0: and I also have a podcast called FOMO Sapiens, which is uh, which is distributed by Harvard Business Review. And we've had everybody from Andrew Yang to this season. We're gonna have. Um, Oh, my goodness, all kinds of crazy people. The president of Chobani talking about how leaders make decision-making. And these people, uh, I choose people who are decisive or who have made a huge mistake and are willing to tell us about it.
2: That's awesome. Uh, I think that there's a huge thing, a, a, a cornucopia of knowledge to learn from or to gain from learning how people make decisions. One of the things that I always say is if you want to learn from successful people, don't, look at what they do, try to figure out how they think. Um, and I think that making this being decisive is uh, a really huge marker of that. So this is great. Um, thank you for sharing your research and your knowledge with the world. I can't wait to see the book and thank you for taking the time to talk to me tonight. Yeah. Thanks a lot. And good luck.
1: So what happens next? You may be asking, well, whenever you're ready, here are four ways I can help you grow your business and get back your time. One, join our free Facebook group, The Replaceable Founder. The second is to get our free Replaceable Founder mini course. The third one is to come to our next one-day Replaceable Founder workshop in New York City. And lastly, you could apply to my Less Doing Leaders program. Simply send an email to oao at lessdoing.com And through the magic of automation and some very human beings, we'll get you going in the right lane on the road to replaceability.